My guy, Kevion Latham. What up, Key? Going on, man. How you doing? I'm well. How are you doing? Um, I'm blessed, man. Corona free, so. Hey, man, that is a blessing. That is a blessing. Speaking of Corona, man, how are you dealing with this time of quarantine? I know you like to usually moving and shaking, usually out and about, man. How are you adjusting? Oh man, just doing a lot of these, a lot of Zoom calls. Um, you know, on the phone a lot, uh, but just trying to stay as productive as possible. Uh, trying to read, uh, catch up. You know, one of my goals this year was to complete uh, one book a month. So uh, been doing that. Uh, just trying to, just trying to, you know, fine tune myself, and um, not only with, um, uh, not only with education, but also uh, in the word as well. Awesome, awesome, awesome word. Me and the Bible, definitely. Uh, we both, you know, men of God. Uh, taking it back to other books, though, is there any book you want to share with us? Yeah, man. I'm actually looking. I'm reading through this book right now. It's called Financial Freedom. Uh, it's by uh, Jeremiah Brown. Um, it's super dope, man. It really uh, just talks about the fundamentals of just money in general. Um, it's, it's very easy to read. Um, me and my uh, one of my my boys, we're reading it together, and uh, it's it's been super super interesting. Even for someone like me, who you know, I went to school for finance, right? In the financial industry, uh, being able to read something that's I won't say dumbed down, but something that like everybody could understand, you know? That's awesome. Um, learning too, so it, it's a really really good read. I would highly recommend it. It's uh it's called Financial Freedom, um, by Jeremiah Brown. Uh, like so it's like 200 pages but it's it's some really really awesome and so so how is that working so you say you're reading with one of your friends so are you all reading a chapter and then get get on the phone and talk about it what's the process what does that look like you might be able to get tips for others just like so we're basically we're doing reading uh chapters after we uh read chapters the phone we just kind of recap the what we learned um things that he picked up things that i picked up um and just trying to you know push each other to, to get better and to learn and also sharing that with our other friends, you know, We're just trying to educate. Them. Um, I think that's the most important thing, especially in a time like this where, you know, some people, you know, are, you know, aren't able to work and aren't able to bring in an income. And so just teaching little things of, you know, how you can prepare yourself, uh, God forbid, if something like this ever happens again, you know, um, and how it's not really that hard, you know, it's, it's all about discipline, you know, discipline and, and, and and knowing the tools that you have at, at hand uh, to be able to uh, seek that financial freedom, you know? Right. And so, so do you, you spoke to discipline. And so whether it's from the books or personal knowledge, any suggestions you have as far as a, like one financial tip? Uh, yeah. So one of the tips that I, I have that I've been, I guess, I won't say struggling with, but something that I guess was always ingrained, uh, coming up as a kid and something that, you know, you know, getting my, my CFP, which is, you know, the high, highest designation you can get as a financial advisor, uh, being a certified financial planner and also teaching, you know, uh, my clients, especially my athlete clients about debt. Right. So especially in the black community, you know, when I was growing up, you know, my dad always said, never get a credit card, you know, never have debt. Um, and so I've always had that stigma in my mind, but one of the things that the, uh, the author is teaching in this book is that this book is that debt is not necessarily a bad thing. You know, the way that our economy is now, you know, money, as he describes it, is, is really just the concept. Right. Um, it's not our money isn't backed by anything anymore. 
you know, after 1971, um, and literally I'm learning this in his book. This is good uh, stuff. Nixon, uh, took the backing from gold and silver and basically our money's backed by debt, you know? So even in this this time right now, you see the government's printing off billions of dollars. It's really just, they're just printing money, you know, out of thin air. So the money that we do have, it really isn't, if you think about it, it's worth anything, you know? Because you can't, it's not backed by anything, you know? And so the one thing that this guy is teaching us is, if money isn't backed by anything, if it's just a concept, then how can we use debt to our advantage? How can we use the system that they put in place to our advantage? And basically just teaching about, you know, how you can go and, and, and like, instead of buying, you know, that $25,000 Beamer, you know, where you have to put $8,000 down, buy an asset first, right? So buy that, you know, if you have eight grand, you know, buy that rental property, right? Put down whatever is 20%. Let's say that 20% is $8,000, right? You got you to back these numbers out. Right. Uh, buy that new property, you know, put 20% down, let the bank finance the other 80%, right? After you have that, now you have an asset, a cash flowing asset. Uh, um, and again, let me back up, buy, find a, a rental property where there already are tenants. Okay. Are paying monthly rent, right? So once you put down that 20%, um, you know, which let's say it's $8,000, uh, you now own that rental property, which is an asset. You know, a year later, you can then, and this is all technical terms, but you can then refinance that property, right? And once right. you refinance that property, you then initially you recoup, essentially you recoup that initial investment out, right? And so what he's teaching is instead of buying the Rolex, instead of buying the car, buy the asset first, right? Then use the asset to go and purchase. The Rolex is the cars, is what you want, yeah. The, the monthly rent, you know, above the, the mortgage and the insurance and all the maintenance, if you're, you know, profiting $300 a month, that in turn could be the payment for your Beamer. Right. Or for your Rolex or something like that, right? But now you have the asset that's spitting off positive cash flow instead of just buying the car where the car is depreciating and, 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 and you're basically making payments of $300. You now have this asset that's basically paying for you know, what you wanted in the first place. Awesome. So there's stuff like that, man. That's great stuff. There's some nuggets, man, that, uh, again, it's just simple, you know? Uh, things that I'm able to, to catch on and latch on uh, very easily, and I'm able to, you know, discuss it with uh, not only my, my clients, but the youth, where it, kind of, it makes sense, you know? Right, right. Awesome, awesome. So let's get, let's get into a little fun stuff. We're going to go back into your career and talk a little bit more finance as well. But we call this like little warm up, little stretch questions. You know, as a former athlete, it's important to warm up and stretch. So here we go. You can't straddle the fence. I need you to make a decision. If you could hang out with any, if you could hang out with any cartoon character, who would you choose? If you could hang out with any cartoon character, who would you choose? That's easy, man. Bugs Bunny. Bugs Bunny? Okay. Tell us more. Why is that? Uh, I don't know. Growing up, man, Bugs Bunny was just, he just had swag. I don't know, man. <laughs> uh, he just always kind of carried himself, you know, like a like a G. You know, I, I think it, it even confirmed more of how cool he was when Space Jam came out, right? You know, obviously everybody was, you know, oh, I was a huge Michael Jordan fan. Same here. Uh, just the, just the way he carried himself, man. The way like he, 
you know, obviously I was in the girls growing up, you know. I forget what's the, the is it Lola? I think the, 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 that sounds right. That sounds right. That sounds right. I believe so. Yeah, just just how he carried himself, man. And he was just all things like just slick, you know. Um, even when trying to get caught, you know, like he always had a way out of uh, some kind of way. So and so. I dig it. So you brought up Jordan. What is your thoughts about the... Well, first of all, have you been watching the Last Dance, the documentary? I have. Incredible. What are your thoughts about it? Um, honestly, man, I... Um, I... Uh, didn't... So I didn't really see Jordan play. I wasn't really into basketball until I moved with my, my father in like 19... Like 1990s. When I was like seven years old. So that was 97, 98. So I didn't really watch him play until that last, literally to this season. How about that? Okay, okay. So I, didn't, I was born in 89, and so I didn't see, like, obviously I didn't see anything before 89. And really I haven't seen anything until, like I said, in the 97, 98, you know, uh, season. But bro, I didn't know he was that good. Incredible. Like, right? <laughs> the first couple I was like, yo, this dude, like, I was watching my wife, and she was like, Either the other people were, were terrible, <laughs> or like he just was like Superman, you know? I mean, especially looking at that game when uh, I think it was either first or second year when he played Boston. In the playoff game. And played golf with the opponents before the game, which is crazy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that that night before they played golf, he scored, like, I think, believe 49, played golf, lost in the, in the golf golf round. And said, uh, I guess he he let he let somebody know that he had he had some for Danny Age and the Celtics, and that something was sixty three points. He lit dudes up, man. Yeah, no, I, I've been enjoying it thoroughly, thoroughly. I was a huge Jordan fan growing up, and it just takes me back to my childhood. Yeah, man. It's, 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 go, ahead. go ahead, please, please finish with that. Well, I'm just saying, man. It's just pretty cool to see. Um, you know, obviously, it's always the base of the Kobe's. I mean, I grew up in the Kobe, obviously LeBron era. And, um, you know, I can now tell why, you know, uh, a lot of people compare Jordan to Kobe because, I mean, they were very, very similar to one another um, and their games and kind of just their attitude and mentality towards the game. Totally. Uh, and although I would say overall, I think the I think LeBron is like, I want to say the best basketball player, but he's definitely probably. I don't know, man. I guess it's hard. It's, I don't know what level you could put them on. Because LeBron's pretty good, too, man. Pretty good. I mean, yeah. Size. Right. You know, he doesn't the championships. I don't think he has, like, that Mamba or that Jordan, like, mentality as far as, like, kill, kill. But just his IQ of the game and even, like, what he's doing now. Like, Jordan wasn't doing what LeBron's doing in his 17th year. That's true. You know? That's true. The longevity. So, I don't know, like, if you can compare apples to apples because they are different types of players. I feel like Kobe and Jordan are, were the same type of player. I agree. Like, even, like, Jordan, if you, if you think about it, if you look at some of his, his highlights, like, he was a mid-range dude using the backboard, you know, going to the hole. Like, that's what – and having that fadeaway. That was that's, – that, that was that was Kobe to a T. Totally, totally. I mean, but the, the, the way you position it, you're acting as if Kobe came first. I mean, Kobe went to the school of Jordan. You know what I mean? So, yeah, so so Kobe, I mean, he idolized Jordan. And and as we saw later on, like, they became really good friends. So he modeled his game after Jordan. Like, so many others before Kobe or during his era was trying to do it. But Kobe was the best at doing it. 
And that's why you can say now that you can see the similarities because you've seen Kobe's entire career, but now going back and seeing some of these Jordans highlight through this doc, you can see the connection there. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's that's a fair, that's more fair comparison because uh, LeBron is probably more in the Magic uh, realm. I mean, getting his teammates involved, assisting that like he's more like his teammates score first. Uh, Jordan, I mean, he really, especially early in his career, <laughs> he he put that thing up. <laughs> It's what I think of. Another one. So would you rather be an adult your entire life or a kid your entire life? You had to choose an adult your entire life or a kid your entire life. Uh, that's tough, dude. Uh, uh, I don't know, man. I mean, uh, I mean, knowing what I know now, probably. Uh, I don't know, man. I like being an adult. Okay. You know? Yeah, I, I think obviously when you grow up, you know, your parents would always tell you, like, life is easy. You know, all you got to do is focus on school and ball. And you're like, whatever. You know, <laughs> and then life comes at you fast. Quickly. And it's hard. You know, especially for, you know, us athletes that, that play uh, um, Division One and got four rides, you know. We, we were kind of sheltered, uh, I feel like, for an additional four years instead of, you know, knowing what life really, you know, what, what life really is. But um, I don't know, man. I I enjoy I enjoy being an adult, man. It's it's adversity for sure. But I think it's just different types of adversity. You know, I feel like as a kid you go through adversity, but you got your parents' protection. You know, I feel like we go through adversity now. You know, our, our heavenly Father. You know, is it, is it, more of our protector. You know, it, at the end of the day. So true story. Yeah, man. You go an adult. So uh, I got last one for you. Last one for you. Okay. I'm excited to ask you this one. All right. Kings of Comedy. Okay. Who's your favorite out of the Kings? Bro, that's easy. Bernie. Oh, seriously? That was easy. Sure, man. Okay. Okay. Excellent. Dope, now, I mean, like, there are... Like, I, obviously, I grew up, you know, watching comedy because of my father. So, you know, that's all we I used to watch. Probably shouldn't have been watching that type of stuff at my age. Um, even, like, that movie. I was at that movie when, you know... They were filming it. I was in like fifth grade, you know, wow. at the Coliseum, uh, you know, listening to them. It, it was in Carolina, correct? Yeah, it was in You're Charlotte. And in Charlotte. Like, weekend, you know, so it was like Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And so for those who are unaware, Kevion's dad, Walter, is the producer and creator of the Kings of Comedy. And so that's why I wanted to get your feedback. So uh, Bernie Mac, that stand up, you probably can't tell it, but what was your favorite joke? Or at least, which one comes to mind? Oh, uh, milk and cookies. Milk and cookies. Milk and cookies. That's a classic oh, one. And I didn't know this until my dad told me, but I thought it was real at first. <laughs> but he made all that stuff up, and he ended up getting a, a TV sitcom off of that. That uh, off of that, basically that 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 story. You know? uh, yeah, that was incredible. Um, yeah, man. He just was. I mean, and again, I was young, so and I have pretty good memory. You know, just being around. You know, my pops and, you know, him touring, you know, he would bring me sometimes on tours with him, you know, going to Chicago and the United Center and, you know, being, you know, backstage and kind of just watching everything unfold, seeing him go on stage, seeing him come back and just joke. But Bernie was just always funny, bro. Always. Okay. I remember um, it was in Greensboro, um, my hometown, and they were doing a show that weekend and they were doing like sound check. And, um, I was just hanging out with my dad 
and he literally he just had everybody like you know when somebody's funny when you're like you start crying like right crying. oh yeah that's that's next level it's just always like that from you know um, he just is always just super silly he's just super funny but it was all natural it was nothing just like you know what i'm saying it was just it was yeah he, he's the best man yeah it was a gift i mean it uh, he's, he's, a, uh, he's a legend for sure Awesome, awesome And so we spoke about a little bit You're from Carolina Tell us a little bit more exactly where you're from And your, and your upbringing And the sports you play I'll let you take it Yeah man So originally from a small town uh, Robertsonville, North Carolina Shout out to, to the Ville uh, But um, I'm from Robertsonville, North Carolina Born and raised uh, A small town in eastern North Carolina uh, when I was about seven years old, as I mentioned before, I moved uh, from that area uh, to uh, Greensboro, which is a more of a, a city, more like Charlotte, Riley area. Um, and that's where I uh, I went to, to high school, graduated um, with the Page High. Um, was fortunate enough, man, uh, to get uh, over 30 scholarships to, to D1 uh, schools across the country. Um, and ended up choosing uh, to attend Penn State. Uh, we are better than Pitt. Facts. I, I, I think I think the sound went out. <laughs> I think I, I think we stopped recording right when you said we something, and then everything else just went 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 down. So so let me take you back to high school. So okay. football. Did you play any other sports? Yeah, man. So I actually I actually you know I don't know if I ever told you. I don't know if I ever told you this, but I hated football. Um. Yeah, so when I moved... Uh, I mean, it makes sense, considering what school you went to, but go ahead. Yeah, but... So when I was living with my mother, <laughs> yeah. um, the town I grew up in, it was a super, like, just baseball. Like, it was... We all played baseball. Baseball was, like, the pickup... It was, like, pickup basketball where I was from. I didn't know. Um, we, uh, basically... We were in the country, so we didn't have any course. We had baseball fields, right? So cats would, you know, get their glove. We had bats, and we would go and have like pick up baseball games so everybody in my uh in my town were you know uh baseball um fanatics and so i played baseball like in second grade i ended up moving uh with my dad and he made me play football and uh, so that was like third grade played for rec league trotter center um and i was i think i played like d tackle or something on the d line but man the first time uh and you probably remember this too you get the wind knocked out of you and it was like, bro, <laughs> it's I'm not for me. You want to be tough? <laughs> right. like, hey, what, is, what am I doing? Like, I'm going to do this. And so, uh, but pops made me continue to play. Um, uh, I was I was bigger growing up, so I was like one of the kids that before, especially in rec league, before like the Saturday games, I would have to uh, run laps with a trash bag on to make weight. <laughs> yeah, man. So I, I just I just hated everything about it, um, and uh, I actually shared this, this post on Instagram um, when we used to do like the heads up, you know, like there's like this this meme where you like line up, and it was me and my boy. His name's Lionel Sharpner. He was we were like he was big, but he was a fullback, and the coaches would always put us against one another. And uh, I honestly think, man, I got like a concussion, like doing that one of those drills, man. And I just I just hated it, man. I hated everything about it, but I love basketball. Like, I, I love, my dad played basketball, um, and, uh, but he just never forced me to play basketball for some reason. He forced me to play football. But uh, in the eighth grade, I, uh, we were in camp, football camp, and 
I uh, was holding a dummy for, uh, we were doing drills, like practicing tackling. Holding a dummy, it was a small guy, he was actually a friend of mine, um, and I was, was basically uh, just being lazy and joking around. So I didn't hold the dummy, probably as secure, like as tight as I should have been. Okay. And he came up and smacked the dummy when he did it. It broke my wrist. Um, I ended up, I knew something was wrong because I couldn't turn my wrist, right? I, I, but coach, I told my coach, he was like, oh, you're all right. Like, it'll wear off. Dude, played the whole practice uh, in pain. Uh, after, <laughs> after practice, I go back to my coach. I'm like, coach, like, there's something wrong. Like, I saw so I stick my hand out, and he's like, "Can you turn your wrist?" And I was like, "No." He's wow. like, "Oh yeah, you probably broke it. You know, go talk to your parents." And I'm like, what? <laughs> right? Oh my so goodness. Pops come, and I tell him like, "Dad, like my wrist." And you know, he gets out of the car. My dad's like six five, like right. You know, ain't a little guy. He's like not having. So he goes, like, he reams the coach out. I go to the urgent care. Sure enough, they were, due to x-ray, I got, like, a hairline fracture in my uh, in my right wrist. Um, get it. And my dad's all freaked out. He's like, son, you don't ever have to play football ever again if you don't want to. And so I ended up coming back. Um, I wanted to finish the season. You know, I was always taught, you know, finish where you start. So I ended up, ended up coming back. And I think really what I, what I came back is the coach was this eighth grade. And so the coach, we had a new coach. And he kept, like, testing me like I was sorry or something, right? So came back uh, um, from my, my my wrist being broke, and I just went all out, man. just, like, was killing. I was getting sacks, you know, everywhere. And, and uh, I remember the, the game we played like this because I went, print, uh, pr- went to the school in hall, which was predominantly, like, a white school. And so the Dudley was, like, the, the, the black school, and we played them. And I, like, had a – it was my first game back, and I killed it. And uh, after the game, he was like, tell me I'm wrong. And I was like, what? And uh, basically, I, I proved him wrong, you know? And so um, going fast forward in high school, uh, went to Page, which is big, big uh, uh, football school. So 4A, I, I don't know how Ohio classifies their classes, but 4A is like the predominantly bigger school. Yeah, we had different North divisions. School. Yep. Yeah. And so um, my dad said, he was like, I'm not forcing you to play. Right, so he was like, "You make your decision," and I was like, "Cool, like um, if I don't have to play, I'm not playing." So yeah. I ended up going in North Carolina. It's super hot in the summer, and he was like, "Well, just go to one practice, and if you still don't want to go, like you don't have to play." So I went to like a, a tryout or a workout, and it's like a hundred and something degrees outside, and we had to do like stair stadium steps, and I'm like, "Bro, I'm not doing." <laughs> I don't play. I don't play. Uh, the coaches, you know, they knew kind of how good I was or whatnot. And they were begging me to play, but I just wanted to play basketball. I ended up making the, 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 I guess, the freshman team. I just wanted to be a basketball player. I mean, I just loved, you know, I was getting slammed magazines every every week. And I had, like, this whole collage of, you know, just, uh, you know, uh, magazines on my wall and stuff. Right, like that. right. Cutting the pictures out and all that. LeBron was like, he had just, like, literally LeBron, like, had came to my hometown. Like, he was, like, touring. Like, when he was at St. Vincent, St. Mary, he was playing all, like, the top high school. So I was going to see him play, and I was like, dude, like, I really want to do this. And uh, going to the YRB, it was one of those things where, like, my dad didn't have to tell me. Or right, ask me to go right. I was just, oh. like, well, with football, I just, I didn't want to go play football. And, um, and so 10th grade, uh, 
uh, still, you know, not really wanting to play football. I ended up trying out, made the team, uh, got bumped up to varsity. <laughs> it sucked because, like, our JV team was doing better than our varsity. Varsity, yeah, that's how it often happens, right. And, like, our varsity team, I think we went, like, 0-10 there, right? And so, but it was cool. It was, it was a different experience because my first varsity game, like, he was just talking smack. Right, talking about like, yo, your mom is whack, or (laughs) right, it's kind of probably like your first college game, right? And so I'm like, oh, this is this is crazy, and uh, still wanted to play basketball. um, Did the whole AAU thing, and um, my probably one of my last basketball games in tenth grade. My coach, who actually coached Otis Yelverton, he's like a second dad to me. um, Coached me from like rec league, and also in high school. He literally pulls me aside during a basketball game, and I'm playing like the four and five in basketball. And he's like, "Son, you're never going to play basketball in college, like straight up." He was like, wow. "You're a point guard. Like you're probably." I was like six, probably six one, six two at the time. And he was like, "And you're, you're playing forward and like, center, right?" That are taller than you, right? And uh, it just crushed me, man. And um, I don't know, man. I just after that, I still play basketball, but. I just started taking football a little bit more seriously uh, that year. Got in the weight room, started taking like creatine and protein powder, and kind of got buff. And I was like, "Oh shoot!" Like, and then my eleventh grade year, man, uh, my uh, my first game, varsity starting, um, I had like a crazy game. I had like a safety, a fumble, a sack, and I was like, "Dude, I'm, I'm actually I'm pretty good," you know. Incredible numbers. So yeah, yeah, man. Just uh, that's how kind of. And then you know, actually, it's crazy. So my junior year. Um, I had this thing on my knee. Um, it's called uh, OCD, called osteochondritis disease, where like a piece of my bone in my knee um, basically didn't like grow attached to like the whole kneecap or something. Okay. Um, basically, microfracture surgery. What Amari Stoudemire dealt with when he played basketball, and um, I played through the whole my whole junior year with it. Just wore a knee brace and. Um, was just basically count. I shouldn't have played. Like the doctors was like, you shouldn't play. You can make it worse. But I knew that your junior year, that's where you get the looks at, right? And um, you know, by the grace of God, man, I ended up having like a crazy year. Um, was able to uh, ship out that, that 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 highlight film to all the schools around, um, and that's how I ended up getting my scholarship. So. My scholarships. And that's awesome. So you, you had 30 offers, which is incredible. You decided to go to Penn State. What other schools did you, were you seriously considering? You know, maybe one or two others that was, that came out yeah, to maybe the last so, three. Yeah, I really, uh, so in my household, you know, school was always, or education, especially on my mom's side of the family, um, you know, uh, education was like just huge, you know, um, you know, all my, my aunts and cousins, they're all teachers. And so, um, always been big on, on school and so um, I really wanted to go to Carolina um, probably, it wasn't because of football it's because of Michael Jordan and just like being a Tar Heel fan right um, so I wanted to go to Carolina I, I think so it was Penn State Carolina and then Florida uh, Florida had just won the national championship and they offered me like that Sunday before signing there and so um, Urban Meyer called me um, and was like you know, son, you want to, you know, we're offering you to, you know, come to Florida. And the next day they had their, uh, 
I guess the guy who covered my area, they had him come to the school and, you know, with his Florida shirt on. And I'm like, and they had just won the championship. Right, you know? right. So I'm like, yo, this is crazy. But I ended up sticking with Penn State um, because, uh, I don't know, man, it just felt right. Uh, my official visit, uh, didn't know this at the time, but uh, my D-line coach, Larry Johnson, who's now the assistant head coach and D-line coach at Ohio State, um, he was my recruiter. Um, and doing my official in 2006, um, it was with Joe Pye, my grandma, my parents, my brother, whatnot. And my grandmother basically called Coach Johnson like Boogie or one of his nicknames. And I was like, what? Come to find out, they went to high school together. Are you serious? We never knew. She was like, I didn't know you were talking about that, Larry Johnson. Wow. They called him by like another name. And so, like, right then and there, I was like, dude. Like, Meant to be. How about that? That's incredible. Yeah, so, uh, and Coach Johnson, he was just, man, I mean, I get literally, you know, I work with him today. Like, he's one of my clients, and, you know, he's one of the, really, the, the big reasons that I've been able to get into kind of this uh, this sports world, man, and, and have success, because uh, he kind of put my his stamp, you know, beside my name, man. You know, I don't take that lightly. But uh, he saw how hard I worked in school um, and on the field, and he just knows me as a person. I mean, he recruited me. He's known me since I've been in 11th grade. So um, it was just, it just, I don't know, it just is meant to be. You know, he just kind of, he went through the recruiting process, you know. You know, I called Carolina and some lies, uh, and it's just a dirty game. But he, I think the one thing that he did that, um, that really meant a lot was, obviously, my parents were separated, right, and um, getting recruited by all these, these schools. When uh, he said when he said he was going to do something, he did it. And one of the things that he did that really stuck out from all the other coaches is that he took a separate trip by himself and went and saw my mom down in Robertsonville. And he didn't have to do it. And it's like literally a beaten path. You know, it's like out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And uh, he went and like the whole community came. I wasn't there, but my, you know, my mom tells me that all my cousins, uncles, you know, wow. we're a big family. He came and basically, you know, uh, told his pitch like I was there, you know, and, and so that meant a lot, especially, like I said, me not growing up with my mom, you know, she obviously didn't want me to go eight hours away. She barely saw me, you know, in the first place, but, uh, you know, he reassured her that, you know, I was going to get a good education, that I was going to be coached well, but um, once, you know, he did that and she kind of had that stamp of approval of him, you know, it just, it was meant to be. Yeah, wow, that's next level. Thanks for sharing that story. That's next level recruiting. I was going to ask you that. So it was eight hours away from your from yep, your hometown to Greensboro. Hours. Wow, that's impressive. That's impressive. And so uh, you go to Penn State. You major in finance. Yep. It's already a huge demand at being at being an athlete. So how did you manage being a student athlete? Speak to that. Yeah, man. I was actually talking to a parent about this the other day. Um, I actually didn't even want to do finance. I, I initially went to Penn to uh, do engineering. Um, engineering, I okay. To be my uh, my cousin um, on my mother's side again, very you know, education is like like pristine on that side of my family. They take it very serious. He went to NC State, uh, got an electrical engineering degree, and worked at Procter and Gamble. And so, and she was like the only cousin that I saw that she was driving a Beamer, like young. Like she always just had like a nice car. Right. So I was like, dude, I want what she does. You know? <laughs> I was like putting stuff together in math. So I was like, and that's what she did. So 
wanted to be an electrical engineer, um, literally got to Penn State. You know how the our academic advisors are separate from the regular academic advisors. And so uh, went toward the, uh, the electrical engineering program. And literally when I got back, my advisor was just like, you can't do it. Because once you get into the, the major, your labs are going to be doing practice. You just got to pretty got to choose another major. Right. And, um, and that's when I think, I think that's where a lot of guys get caught. And I'm thankful, uh, that I had a strong support system. I I saw people come before me and my family, um, where I could push myself. Cause I think that's where a lot of guys, they, they take up these communication or, you know, uh, hotel restaurant management degree, something that they really don't want to do. Right. Um, because the academic advisor is kind of pushing their agenda, right. not knowing that they have their own numbers to hit too. Right. And so I ended up choosing finance, man, because, again, my dad was in business. He didn't get a college degree, you know, and I saw what he did. So I was just like, let me do business and, uh, you know, just see what, what happens. And uh, finance kind of just came, man, was at Penn State. They had this thing where um, in the business school, you either had to major in finance, accounting, management, supply chain, or, like, MIS. And basically finance was uh, – like you had to have the finance was like the hardest sector to get in. You had to have like a three five GPA after your sophomore year. After your sophomore year, okay. Rule of finance. So I was like, with everything as you mentioned going on, doing football, doing study hall, doing don, I was like, it, that gave me kind of like a, a a goal to achieve, you know. And so I just went after it, man, um, and I ended up getting in. So um, yeah, that's kind of how it how it all happened. Interesting. I mean, I was speaking with somebody not too long ago. Uh, and he was speaking to how he wanted to go into a certain certain major, but again, he couldn't do it because of the responsibility of a football. And so, I mean, so to your point, a lot of people they they cannot go into the necessary area that they want to focus on, which sometimes you know limits the athlete. And then hindsight twenty twenty, when they're done playing, like, damn, I wish I would, <laughs> I wish I would have took advantage of that. Uh, you talked about, you know, those that are, you know, going into degrees that they may not want to. You threw out communication. Some people want to get into communication, like myself. So <laughs> I was a communication major. Yeah, because yeah. I wanted to go into broadcasting. But I'm with you, though, because sometimes they're channeled into where there's communication or administrative justice, um, degrees that, that, that they may not be able to use moving forward or at least be able to specialize in a skill set. So we're, we're on the same page there. Sure. So... Take it on the field. What's your fondest memory? Where it's a it's a play, it's a game, going to a bowl game. What's your fondest on field memory as a, as a member of the Penn State football team? Fondest on field memory probably was um, uh, we played Indiana at FedEx Field. My I think it was my senior year, um, and uh, I ended up getting a sack. And it was very memorable for me because my my all my uncles were there at the game, and they weren't. Again, I, I went to school eight hours away, and, and you know my family didn't really have the means to come to every game, and so uh, just being there, man, and playing and getting a sack, and, you know, in front of them was was super cool, you know. So that's probably one of my my fondest memories. And so you mentioned this. You said eight hours from Greensboro is Penn State State College. Yeah. 
How about that? So I just made that connection. So you moved eight hours from your hometown to Greensboro. Then you went to college eight hours. Oh, no, no. So my hometown is two and a half hours from Robertsville to Greensboro, two and a half hours. But Got then, you. Um, from Penn State, it's about both ways, about eight hours. That's what you're saying. So when Coach Johnson went to go visit your mom, you were saying eight hours from State College to your hometown. Yeah, yeah, Got you. Yeah. In a different direction than where I live. Got you. That makes sense. That makes sense. Got you. Cool. And so, let's talk about your your transition. So you, you remained in the in the finance career. And so, what was some of that transition from being a student athlete into the professional world? How was uh, that? The transition was. Uh, how can I say it? it? Was it was smooth? You know, I was able to. I got a job um, right after uh, playing ball. So. My last year was 2010. Um, I started doing interviews uh, in like fall of 2010. And uh, when I graduated, um, my last game was, I think, like January 1st. We played like in a New Year's Day bowl game against Florida. Uh, and I started at PNC uh, like in February. So um, it was cool, man. I, I you know, because I had a job. Um, I guess my transition was a bit just a, it's just a virtue, right? I found out my long time my girlfriend's not my wife. She's pregnant with our first child, um, so that kind of was you know was hard not hard but it was unexpected, right? Um, so you know I had to juggle that, but um, I don't know. I think it was smoother than uh, I think a lot of my now I, you know seeing some of my teammates they go through uh, the transition. Um, I kind of had an idea of what I wanted to do, um, and that was ultimately be, you know, I wanted to be a financial advisor. I wanted to be uh, amongst, like, the. I wanted to work in sports still, right? And I thought, you know, being a financial advisor, I could take my skills that I learned from finance and, you know, help these athletes and my teammates, right? I saw my teammates that, you know, were super good at playing ball, and I saw how much work they put in, and then I saw that they didn't have anything, right? And they just had no clue of the, the concept of, of what it meant to, you know, uh, make money, build wealth. Um, and so I just wanted, I wanted to help them, you know? And so um, I think that was really my goal was to network in my, as much as possible, um, to, to meet people, to learn, and to ultimately, you know, get on this side of the business, which I was able to do. But, um, you know, I guess the, the on the career side it was it was easy, but like I think the transition as far from a mental perspective was super hard, right? Um, I think I still go through it. You know, it's crazy. I just talked to one of my uh, my colleagues who um, we worked together at Merrill Lynch, and he we we're same age, and he continued to uh, it's a pretty cool story. He uh, you know tried to make it in the league. Um, didn't end up making it, but was uh, basically played in Canada. But during his off-seasons, he would have, like, a part-time job as being, like, a financial advisor. So he got licensed and, you know, got a CFP and stuff like that. Right. And, and this year, he finally decided um, that he was going to retire from ball. And uh, he reached out to me the other day um, and just wanted to talk, you know. And obviously, we're going through this COVID-19 thing. Um, we're all isolated. And I know just for, for me, uh, isolation is the worst um, when you're trying to go through that transition, right? Because I think you're talking to yourself a lot. Um, you have identity issues, right? Because you used to be this thing. Um, 
that, uh, you know, was ingrained into your mind as being this football player and, and, and being the it, and, and you're no longer that anymore, right? right? And then you're also seeing um, other teammates that are, you know, make, they're making money, they're kind of living the life that I guess you could have been living, and you think that that's the thing. And so it just plays in your head, man. You know, so I think that, that I struggle with that, man, um, a lot. I think a lot of guys struggle with it. They're just not honest with themselves, right? And so um, I just remember, I remember saying to myself, like, dang, like, I just played in, on ABC, and now I'm, like, sitting in a cubicle, like, taking orders from, like, this dude. Who's, like, a no- <laughs> that that <laughs> no transition nobody, is like, very tough. I'm with you. This is nuts, man. And so, um, yeah, man, it's, just, it's hard, man. But I think talking, even, like, talking out right now, um, you know, I, I think it helps. I think uh, meeting you, man, meeting you, because I met you, for, you know, I think, like, a year, maybe that year, 2011. Yeah, or maybe a year after. No, a year after. Is that two, two, probably 2012? Yeah, 2012, like, at the end of the year. Meeting you was, like, a huge blessing because, um, you know, you kind of had walked down that path. You know, you had transitioned and you were doing something that was positive. And uh, Orange Arrow, man, just was – it was um, – you know, I look back on it now, it, it probably saved my life, man, you know, because I was able to, to have an outlet um, and to be able to, again, talk. Right when you you're talking with somebody and you're kind of expressing your feelings and and you're doing something and you're giving that energy, you know, uh, or taking the energy that you have and kind of and giving it to the kids and just to other people in general, man, it's uh it's a blessing, you know, and so and just being able to share my experience and and hoping that you know the things that I learned, some of these kids can you know take you know just a, a small fraction of it and implement it in their life, you know, so. Yeah, no, that was good. I, I didn't know that you were that. Now thinking back, I guess you were like early in your career when we met. And I'm glad we got connected. And I mean, you were such a value added. You were committed. I mean, you were always there. You was always reliable. And you were a great mentor and a great role model for the for the young student athletes. And we're going to speak more into that. But I like to share, I like to hear more about your business now. You know, so so you're you're only you're you own your own business now. Uh, so speak to that. Uh, you have many clients, including professional athletes. Yeah, man. So like I said, um, you know, once I graduated, I kind of had this, uh, you know, this thing. Uh, like I said, I kind of knew what I wanted to do. Um, I feel like God takes you down, you know, you know these uh, these trails to, and, and sometimes you don't understand why He's doing it, but uh, ultimately He's pruning you to to kind of to to, to do His will almost. Um, so, uh, ended up leaving, uh, PNC, uh, went to Merrill Lynch, got licensed, uh, uh, ended up getting an opportunity with the group that I was working with there, uh, went on to Raymond James, uh, and ended up working there for four years under this group. And, uh, again, I was trying to pursue the, uh, the, the avenue of working with professional athletes, again, because I felt like, um, I related to them, I, I understood their story, um, and I knew how communicate and I just want again I just wanted to help and so um, I ended up getting an opportunity uh, to work with some pretty big time athletes um, with a group out of St. Louis and then um, from there man I just I felt it on my heart God was telling me to to kind of start my own thing and kind of just take that that leap of faith uh, which was a huge leap because uh, I just didn't know what would happen right and kind of just just betting on myself 
you know, uh, was getting advice and again seeking seeking the Lord, you know, for counsel. And really, you know, my thought process was, um, if I was going to do it, I should do it now, right? Uh, and not look back. You know, I was young. I think at the time I was 28 years old, 28, 29. Um, and if you know things didn't go well, I, I still I'm still young. I had my credentials. Um, I had contacts, so I took the the leap, man. And so I ended up starting in uh, 2018, uh, starting um, Green Rose Wealth Management. And if anybody knows, I'm like the, like, not, like, the most, uh, I don't, I don't want to say I don't think, but the creative, right? So, like, Green Rose was birthed out of, I don't know, like, a guy, literally was God, you know, you know God gave it to me, placed it on my heart. And really what Green Rose means is Green Street is where I grew up with my mother, you know, in the trailer parks, uh, you know, very impoverished and kind of my humble beginnings. And uh, Rose was, uh, is basically synonymous for Roseville Lane, where uh, I live with my father uh, in the suburbs uh, once I moved with my mom. So Green Rose is kind of culmination of my life story. Uh, it's the platform that I feel God has given me to, to share that story and to, to help others. Um, and it's also similar to uh, uh, a lot of these athletes and what they go through. Um, and, you know, because a lot of athletes, they come from very humble beginnings. And uh, I think they are blessed, not think, but then they are blessed with their athletic ability to um, rise up from, you know, those situations. But oftentimes they are, they're misguided, right? They're blinded by, you know, the, the evils of this world. And the thing that I've always, the thing that I saw, you know, through my, my father's situation is that money does not make you happy. Mm. It is temporary, right? Uh, it, it, it temporarily, uh, you know, uh, solves problems and temporarily gives you happiness. Um, it obviously, it does, you know, provide stability, you know, from a financial standpoint, but you know, I've seen uh, many people who have all the money in the world and they're so unhappy, right? Um, right. Even from uh, the standpoint of when you get this money, your own family turns up, right? Because they expect you to do X, Y, Z. And when you say no, you know, it, it's not like you used to be. Um, so just learning a lot about that and just seeing it firsthand with my father and just his side of the family and how they treated him, you know, when, you know, he stopped, you know, uh, opening up his checkbook. Uh, it gets real. Um, and so just sharing those joys, man. And, and then also, um, you know, uh, just being able to, again, just provide basic financial literacy, not only to players, but, you know, working with also uh, professional uh, coaches and in uh, and the NFL round and college. So, um, yeah, man, it, it's been a blessing um, right now. We're, what, we're going on two years to be this year. That's huge. Uh, it's been, uh, it's been a huge learning experience, man. Uh, lots of, uh, you know, I want to say lots of ups and downs, but it's, it's been, uh, it's all on me now, right? So um, it's been cool to, to, to learn and to, uh, you know, to bump my head and to, just to get better and just kind of fight through that adversity. So That's great. And you've been built for it. I mean, you've been overcoming adversity as you share some of those stories throughout your entire life. And you've been prepared for this. You have the back and the education the skill set and I, I love how you even tied in learning from you know watching your dad and, f and following your dad as well and starting to take all of those pieces together to uh, 
to make your company Green Rose even more effective and you are to continue to learn. It's going to be it's a it's an ongoing process, ongoing process. So so I uh, I salute you and I applaud you, proud of you and is looking forward to hearing great things about, uh, you know, how the company involves. I don't know if you remember. Well, I'm sure you remember uh, early on uh, in us meeting, one of the things you said you wanted to do, you wanted to own an NFL team. So. I'm st- I'm still waiting for that, man. So your company got to go. You know, your company got to go. And so, uh, so I-, I would love for uh, for you to have uh, some tickets set aside for my wife and I for whatever the NFL team you own for it. I got you, bro. Appreciate you. you. Appreciate you. So speaking of Orange Arrow, so the mission of coaching young student athletes to aim for success off the field. Why is that important? Uh, I think it's for that transition. You know. Um, it's it's so it's and it's something that that isn't really taught. I mean, I think it's talked about a little bit more. But and correct me if I'm wrong. But when I was at Penn State, like you know, we were taught to you know we had like literally a class that like taught us about like not touching girls inappropriately or you know doing just carrying our, ourselves a certain way. But there was you know never a class about the transition, you know, and like how hard it is, man. Like, it's it's hard. You know, yeah. I always compare it to, like, you know, I had an uncle that, that smoked cigarettes with him. You to stop. It was like, you can get withdrawal. It's hard, you know? Yeah. And I, I feel like that's what football is, man. Football is like, you know, when you stop, and especially when somebody tells you to stop because you're not good enough. Right, right. You, you're not ready to stop. It's, like, devastating, right? And now nobody tells you about it. Like, what what happens, you know? And I feel like a lot of times, like, our young athletes are not prepared, not only from a, an educational standpoint, but also from a mental standpoint. And it's even worse when you don't get that degree or you don't know what you want to do or have an idea. You, you kind of, it's, it's literally like being in a black hole, you know. And I, I've seen a lot of my teammates, man, like, that they get, you know, on, you know, smoking weed or they get in a cycle. It's four o'clock. Um, they go back to, you know, they are from, which usually isn't like the And they end up being where they started. Right. right? And so, uh, the transition is so important, man. And I think one of the things that, you know, I was blessed with was just trying to put myself, my coach would always, my coach told me this when I left, and I didn't realize I was doing this at Penn State, but he always told me, don't, don't become a part of the desk, right? And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, I don't make any sense. But as when I was at PNC, I kept reflecting on that statement. And I was like, don't become a part of the desk. And then I would, like, go to lunch and, like, just see people in all the cubicles of being, like, seeing, like, people that were doing my job that were, like, 60 years old. I was like, oh, shoot. This, Got it. This, it's hard to click. Don't become a part, don't, like, become a part of what society wants you ultimately become, right? And I think for me, even in college, man, I was always, uh, I always put myself in just in uncomfortable situations, right? So, like, instead of, like, playing Call of Duty in 2K, you know, with the, with my teammates, I was at the business building, you know, studying and, or, and just, like, building relationships outside of the football team, right? And then, uh, you know, and I think that helped me in my transition, Once I got to Pittsburgh, I was able to use, obviously, Penn State and playing football to network and to 
you know, just to meet different people. Um, and again, I, I think that's what our student athletes, they have to do is like, and even like I said, reading this book, man, it, it's really, and you'll see this too, like guys will get jobs and you'll be like, dude, that dude is not, like, how did he get that job? You know, like, I'm way smarter than <laughs> It's really not, it's not, it's not about what you know, it's who you know. Yeah, power relationships. Process to, to, you know, I know some teammates that are, that were ballers on the field, right? They're scared to talk to people. It's incredible. The, the, those other yeah. skills, the other skills aren't developed. I mean, there's so much focus on becoming a better athlete, but then not to focus on becoming a better person and developing these life and social skills. And so that's, that's why we exist. And so, so with that, you've been part of OA for a while, um, heavy in the early stages, continue to support uh, by you know donors and, and bringing more resources to the organization. What's one of your fondest memories of being involved with Orange Arrow? Oh, fondest memories, man. There's so many. Um, uh, Give us one or two. Probably, I would say one um, would be when we did a dining with gentlemen uh, in, in Pittsburgh in the strip district where we were able to get, you know, Ricky Smiley uh, to come. Yeah, that was huge. Uh, and kind of kick that off. And I believe, we're, you know, we're still doing that. Um, yeah, yeah. So, the first one. Yeah. So very first one, yeah. So dining with gentlemen, dining etiquette event, and uh, you helped make that happen as far as you know getting a special guest, Ricky Smiley, helped take it to another level. And I remember, so Ricky at the time he was on national syndicated radio, and they were playing in Pittsburgh. And I guess I believe it was his agent, or somebody on his team. You know, he wanted to do something in the community. You brought it to OA, and then we created that experience. And now today we still do it. It's called training table. Uh, so okay. going with the sports team and it's for, uh, for we have it for girls as well. So boys and the girls training table. But yeah, that, that's a great memory. You got another one for us? Yeah, man. I think that and, and um, guys, just so many. Uh, probably, uh, probably the event that you hosted uh, at the Auto Palace or Auto Place. Yeah, the ball for Orange Arrow. Ball for Orange Arrow. Man. Just seeing uh, the, the unwavering support. Uh, you know, and again, like I, you know, I saw you when you were in Wil- Wilkinsburg. You, me, you, uh, Osaka. Yep. You know, in small room and the boys and girls club. Yeah. Just to see us, you know, uh, or you, you know, go to from that us. to, you know, having Team some movement. of the the biggest, you know, you know, people in town, you know, attend this event, you know, to support, you know, what. Ultimately, we're trying to do, and that's to, to give back to the youth and to plant seeds, ultimately, right? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it was pretty cool just to see how far, uh, you know, that, that OA you know, grew or is grown. Yeah, and we're still going. And so it's interesting. You said some of the you know, biggest people in the community are well-known uh, figures. One of those individuals, Penn State alum, Hall of Famer, Franco Harris. And so while I give you a hard time, other Penn State, Penn State folks, a lot of hard time because, you know, Pitt, Penn State, rivalry, especially, you know, when I played because we were still going, you didn't play, you all didn't play each other. We didn't play you all when you were in school. So it may not be as big, but it was, it was a big deal, right? And so I, while I give you all a hard time, I want to thank you all in a public forum because not only you, but like Franco's been a tremendous support and resource, and he had this fundraiser event for us in Miami around a Super Bowl, giving us access and exposure. 
and from Bobby Ingram. There's been a number of Penn State folks that have come together and rally around the work of Orange Arrow because because we all believe it's important, you know, and, and, and making sure that these athletes become more than just an athlete. So, uh, so I so for, with that regard, I do have love for Penn State. I'm gonna continue to give you a hard time, but uh, I, I thank you for your continued support. I appreciate you, bro. I'm proud of you. I'm looking forward to see how you develop. And um, again, th- thank thank you for uh, you continue to be involved with uh, with OA. No doubt, man. It's, it's been a pleasure, man. I'm super excited to see, you know, the, uh, the I guess the, the, the South Florida chapter, how it grows. Um, I know you guys had a, a big event, you know, going to the Super Bowl. It was actually it was a blessing. Now looking at this this whole coronavirus situation, you know, and, uh, you know, you're able to get it in before you know, everything happened. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm super excited to, to see how it grows down there and even up here as well. And like I said, it's something that I, I believe in still to this day. Uh, something that I, I I feel like I, you know, I am Orange Arrow. No know? doubt. Uh, so I try to you know, tell people about it still to, to help support it uh, and just spread the message. Man. Sounds so thank good. You. Thank you. Let me be part of it. Thank you. Thank you. Cool, bro. So we're in like this. Hell to pit on three. One, two, three. It went out yeah. on your end. It went out on your end, too. Thanks, bro. Love you, dog. Thank you, bro. Peace.